HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This week on Meet and 3, we dive into the science behind munchies, the history of coca, the therapeutic powers of psychedelics, and mushroom-infused recipes. One of the biggest questions we get asked a lot is, does heat degrade psilocybin? The coca leaf was used as a sacred plant. So as a plant that could communicate human beings with gods or mother nature. What you can start to appreciate here is that cannabis is activating and hijacking the system throughout the body. Tune in to Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you by FlaskFineWines.com. Now, you might think from that name, FlaskFineWines.com, that they sell fine wines, and they do. But they also have a selection of more than 800 single malt scotch whiskeys. You like scotch? Stick around after this episode and Chava and I will talk single malts. But for now, strap yourself in for another episode of Agave Road Trip. This is Lou Bang. This is Chava Periban. And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that teaches gringo bartenders about agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. What are we talking about today, Chava? We're talking about something very obscure, serious, might hurt people. So please, if you're listening to this, don't do it while you're driving. <laughs> We're going to talk about bad mezcal. Bad mezcal? Malicious mezcal. Mezcal <laughs> that was not loved by their parents when they were a child. They <laughs> suffered a lot of abuse. They got traumatized. They killed a couple people. They went sent into prison over and over again. Wow. So, okay. So, you know, I have a very... Um, I have a... Oh boy, I don't even know what wing it would be. I have a very different view of what a bad mezcal is. And I would actually argue, Chava, that in my life... I have had exactly four mezcals that I would describe as bad. I've had I've had a ton of mezcals that I would describe as uninteresting and I've had a bunch that I would describe as not to my taste, but bad, but you have a big advantage. You do not go out at night. <laughs> you do not go to nightclubs, you don't know to anywhere where people are dancing. What's your what's your point? Like like I only go to places where they serve great stuff? 
Well, I'm just saying you go to places that are more agave spirits conscious than a lot of us that we like dancing. Uh, yeah, fair. I don't. Um, you know, so, okay. So I, I recently, um, well, at least recently from our point of recording this, maybe not by the time people hear it, but I, I recently wrote a um, uh, a piece or contributed to a piece in Forbes on the mezcals that people should drink. And I included uh, in my list of 25 selected mezcals, Monte Alban. Monte Alban is the longest exported mezcal into the U.S. It's the the golden colored stuff. I don't know where that color comes from with the worm in it. Um, and it's the thing that people for the longest time when they heard mezcal, it's the thing that they would picture. And mezcal snobs would now say, oh, 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 you never drink that. And, and, and you know, I, the truth is I would say I would never drink it. But I think it's a perfect introduction for somebody who likes, say, PBR or Coors Light. If they if they want to, mm. right? If they want to go to a bar and they're surrounded by their their mezcal snob friends, you know any of those kind of people? I know a few. And what you're saying, if I just want to shoot something, make mess. Uh, break a window. I shall go Montalban. I, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what you should do if you want to make a mess. But you know, I haven't honestly. I, I think I think Monte Alban was the first mezcal I ever had back in 1989 when somebody brought it to my housewarming party in New York. Um, and I don't know that I've had it since. So I'm having a little bit now. Yeah, I saw that. Cheers, Lou. Yeah. I'm, I'm sticking to... Salud. Salud. I'm sticking to my Tepemete from Durango, which I'm very much in love with. So cheers. Cheers. Huh. You know, and I would say, yeah, like here again, oh, there's a hair in it. I don't think, <laughs> nope, that's my cat, my dog, sorry. Um, you know, I, I I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad. I It's it's not something I, I need to drink all the time, but if somebody poured me some of that, I'd be fine with it. Really? But, but, but I have had mezcals that I would consider bad. I just, I think people want to say bad because they've learned that something like that is bad. Well, I think it's also, you know, uh, I, I, this happens sometimes where if you are very much into something, your expertise is measured in what do you like and what don't you like. Yes. So you have yeah. some authority to say, so this is the gospel of Lou or Chav or whatever. And these things are have been expelled from my list forever because they do not comply with some sort of purity, with some sort of, like like how, how like for me it's really funny because you know, a lot of people that talk about Mescal, they describe it almost if it was like the Immaculate Conception. Like it was free of all sins that all the other spirits have done. Right. That it's the purest thing in the planet. And anything that it's not within certain rules of purity that they decided, because they will allow for some things like pechugas or certain tricks that I personally do not think fit with that image of purity. They will allow those, but they won't allow others. So in this yeah. discussion of yeah. bat mezcals, Really, what do you think that are the characteristics 
of those mezcals you didn't like at all? What, like, what, what what can you remember about them that you were like, nah, this is horrific? Well, you know, so in fact, after having that sip of Monte Alban, I also went and had a sip of um, one of the four mezcals that I consider bad. They gave me um, some free bottles. So three three of the expressions literally for, from, were from the same brand, and that brand is imported into the U.S., um, so they gave me a bottle and I just had another sip just to make sure that I really didn't like it. And honestly, the first sip I was okay with the second sip, it hit me again, what I don't like about it. And the, what I don't like, what doesn't work for my palate is this, what I would characterize as bitter lemon taste. And hmm. yeah, and, and, and it's what I found in each of the three expressions from this. And I'm not going to name the brand cause I don't want to knock them. Um, and, and in fact, you know, I was on, uh, I think it was, there's an Austin Mescal group on Facebook and I was on there yesterday or two days ago and there were three people who I consider like deep into this stuff. Like they're really knowledgeable. They've traveled through, through Oaxaca. Um, and they were talking about how much they love this specific <laughs> brand. Right. And, and so like, I, I think this is so personal. Taste is so personal. Um, I, I hate the idea that we would shut down any one brand because you don't like the flavor or because it doesn't conform to how you learned mezcal is supposed to be, it, right? It can only be at 50 ABB. Anything under oh. 50 ABB is not a God's worthy mezcal. <laughs> right. And I, you know, and I was one of those assholes. Like I'm willing to say that, right? And I had my time doing that. Um, and, and God bless Esteban Morales, um, at, uh, what, what brands he's La Venenosa and the Rombas. Um, he took me around Jalisco and introduced me to families that are making these beautiful expressions at 38%. And it, I was, I was so resistant to the idea, but I also was cognizant that Esteban knows a lot more than I do. Um, and once I let go of that and just accepted it and opened my mind to the flavors, I found some real beauty. Okay, so I'll tell you what I don't like about certain mezcals, and I, I and what I will characterize. Because <laughs> you weren't going to, you're not going to wait for me to ask, right? Yeah, no. I'm, I'm, what don't you like, Java? <laughs> well, I do not like dishonest mezcales. Dishonest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my real problem. I, I you know, in Mexico we have a saying, mm -hmm. which is el que el que come todo come diario. If you eat everything, you eat every day. And I might characterize myself as one of those things, people. Okay. I'll eat okay. everything with a bunch of pleasure. But what I don't like is when someone tells me that something is something when it's not real. Oh, my God. Are you trying to lead me into a story? No, I'm not trying to lead you into any story. Really? And, and don't throw that story because I know which story you think I'm, throw, uh, I'm trying to throw you into. But I think there's... There's a multitude of examples of this, not only in the agave spirits world. I think a lot of the industries we're familiar with, be it food, alcohol, electronics, they have deceiving publicity, if you if you want to call it that way. Sure. Marketing can oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes be a lie. Exactly. So what when I when I think about bad mezcals, it's that. It's the fact that they are saying they're they're making them look, for example, like they were making they were made traditionally in the middle of nowhere by a family, by a maestro mezcalero, and they're just full industrial. Uh, if you're gonna go full industrial, just say it. Yeah, just, you know, like I'll, 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 boy. So that actually brings to mind my friends at Zignum, 
right? Where God blessed them. They had these videos where they showed this is what your traditional palenque looks like. And then they show their factory and they say, this is the cleanest factory you'll find for making spirits. And they aren't wrong. And, you know, and, and, and I would say that what Zignum makes is sort of the opposite of what I love. They make something, uh, they make a mezcal. It's a certified mezcal in the most industrial way using a diffuser, um, which is incredibly efficient. Uh, so there's like, you know, there are some benefits to it in terms of And how consistent. And, con and incredibly consistent. Um, and it's exactly the flavor profile that the vast majority of the consuming public will like. It's just not what I like. And it's very flexible. You can use it in a lot of cocktails. You can use it yeah. in a lot of different ways. It's not this crazy flavor profile that wants its own space and has so much personality that you cannot mix it with anything else. Right. And it's smooth. <laughs> and it's yeah. smooth. And, you know, and, and, but they're so honest about who they are and what they are. Like, I, I just, I, I really like them. And they give so much money back to the Oaxacan community. I like them. I don't, I don't like their drinks. I'll never drink their spirit, but I will absolutely suggest it to people who are just getting into mezcal and want to try something that will remind them of their vodka and soda. Yes, and uh, and I I, th I think that's really what we're trying to say in this episode. I think everybody every everybody's mouth is a mutant. <laughs> everybody's mouth was deformed by their mother's cooking when they were kids. So my mouth was deformed by my mother's carnitas or anything else. Good. So my taste, like the way I taste things, is deeply rooted and connected to that. Therefore, my taste, thank the Lord, is not the standard for the world. Right. But yeah. I, th I think when we talk about bad mezcal, it is truly guys are lying. And it's we really like the brands that will show us what they're doing in the most honest way because there's market for everything. There's market right. for the very traditional people. There's market for people that just want to drink stuff that has been made in stainless steel, three distillations. Mm -hmm. We have – this is – big wide world with a lot of different interests and preferences. So yeah. I think just don't lie, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would much rather that you not say anything than you make a claim that you're making this mezcal in an ancestral way and you're not. Oh, well, I think that's it for this episode or you want to add anything else, Lou? <laughs> no, I'm afraid we'll have to call lawyers if we go any deeper into this, Java. Okay, <laughs> I want to do that. Okay, we'll, we'll make this a wrap. Salute, amigo. Adios. Hang on, road trippers. We're not done yet. We've got an episode of Chava and Lou's Chat Fest coming up. Hey, Chava, what do you know about single malt whiskey? Lou, I am Mexican. We know everything about whiskey. You being a smart ass? No, that's our job. Seriously, like when I was growing up, when people in Mexico <laughs> wanted to drink something fancy that wouldn't turn to mezcal or tequila, usually it was a brandy or for very special occasions, a whiskey. Ah, that, that would be the fabled Buchanans. Yeah, but we pronounce it Bucanas, Lou. <laughs> okay, got it. So, so my understanding is that Bucanans is a blended scotch. Right, and single malt doesn't, as the name implies, meaning that the scotch was distilled from the ferment of a single varietal of malted barley, and it was all made by one distillery using batch distillations. So very much like mezcal, 
Yeah, sure. I, you know, I, and I never understood scotch and really I, I still don't, but on a trip to Edinburgh a few years ago, I presented agave spirits to members of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society and they in turn educated me on single malt whiskeys. Wow. So what did you learn, Lou? Well, you know, true to my nature, all I really retained is what you just said about single malt and that the flavor profile can vary widely and that some of it is amazingly delicious. I had this bottle that tasted to me like liquid chocolate cake. Yeah, and that scotch collectors know, I also learned, scotch collectors know more about fermentation and distillation than most people I present to. Which means they're smart enough to head to flaskfinewines.com to see the more than 800 single malt scotches available via mail order. And to get their bucanans on too. Well, not if they're going to a Puebla party. <laughs> yes. So flaskfinewines.com offers nationwide shipping of fine wines and spirits within the USA. And Chava, they are a sponsor of Agave Road Trip. Thanks a lot, flaskfinewines.com. Adios. This is Chava and Lou's Chat Fest, where we chat you up about something that has nothing to do with agave, agave spirits, or rural Mexico. Okay, Chava, we just did, like, the last Chat Fest was my wedding story. Yes, and my lack of wedding stories. <laughs> and you have no wedding stories, so I'm going to I'm going to take command of this Chat Fest and tell you not not another wedding story, but this is um, so my my best friend uh, since we were fifteen years old. Like he lives two miles away from me now, not even two miles away. Uh, is Bruce Miller? We've been friends since we were fifteen. Uh, love him dearly, and uh, and he he um, he asked me to be his best man for his wedding to Carol Yanowitz who is also one of my very best friends. She's a tremendous woman. Anyway, this is the speech in essence that I gave, the toast that I gave at the wedding. It's a story that's not about weddings, but it's the toast I gave at his wedding, so I feel like it's appropriate. Is it, is it okay? I, I'll allow you to do this, Lou. Yes, go for it. Okay. Okay, so so Bruce and I um, met in high school in this Jewish youth group, but he lived in Iowa. I lived outside of Chicago, hours away, so we would see each other Basically, like every three months at the youth group conventions, you know, these overnight weekend long conventions where people from all over the region would get together. Mm. And so we knew each other really well and we talk on the phone all the time. Uh, but but when we went to college, we went to the University of Iowa and we 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 roomed together. And part of what Bruce asked, I, again, like I tend to, I tend to change facts to make for better stories. So some of this might be, some of it might be a little bit, um, uh, 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 uh made up, but, but not the relevant facts. Well, my manicured, no, like just like, manicured. Uh, I like yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> So my recollection is that Bruce, who listened to nothing but top 40 radio in the quad cities of Iowa, because that's all they had. My recollection is that Bruce asked me to um, to play for him some of this weird, obscure music I used to listen to in Chicago. Right. Okay. And one of the bands I used to love listening to was Todd Rundgren and Utopia. And they have this song um, that they would play at the end of every concert. Um, it, it goes, um, 
Hold that line, baby, hold that line. Get up, boys, and give it one more try. You can't stop now. No, you can't stop trying, baby. Hold that line, baby, hold that line. Somehow, boom, boom, someday, boom. We need just one victory and we'll be on our way. Right? Like, so it's this great song. It's like one of these anthems. And, uh, and and I'd seen Todd Rundgren at this point probably five times, um, our freshman by the time we got to college, and uh, and he always played that as the last song. So this is now 1984, and Todd Rundgren had produced this album by the Tubes that was like all over top 40 radio. Okay. And it was like, it, right. And the tubes was this like punk band and they had this huge stage presence where they had giant statues and people came walking out in costumes and stuff. Love it. And, and they were coming to Iowa right by the university, uh, the tubes were, and Todd Rundgren and Utopia were opening. And I'd been playing for Bruce, the, the Todd Rundgren and Utopia albums. And um, at the end of each day, this might be where I'm exaggerating, at the end of <laughs> each day of class for the first few months, we would play that song, Just One Victory, and sing along to it in our dorm room at like at the top of our lungs. So when it was announced <laughs> that they were coming, like right, Todd Rundgren is coming and he's going to open for the tubes. It's like, oh, well, we, we've got to go to the show. Like just to see the opening act, we got to go. Um, so we went and it was in this giant, like basketball stadium, right? Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. Okay. There are bleachers on the side, but mainly people are standing in the center, but there are bleachers that you sit on on the sides that probably go up in the air, like 20 feet. So Bruce and I get there early and, uh, and we beeline for the front of the stage. Cause like we're there for utopia, the opening act more than anything. And, and there's just like, there's not a lot of space on the stage. You've got the only thing they had that looked fancy was the drum kit, which was sort of a motorcycle with drums around it. And then there was just this giant red, uh, um, drape behind that. And, and that's it. Okay. Well, I mean, still classy, you know, simple can be classy. Simple. Why not? Yeah, simple. And so it's a four piece band, Todd Rundgren and his band comes out and they start playing and we're so excited. Like, this is the music we've been listening to. This is our moment. <laughs> Bruce and I are singing all the songs to each other, but, but like things keep going wrong. Like the, the Todd's mic, the singer's mic goes out. You can't hear him for a while. And he's like, he's, you can tell he's looking at the, 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 the sound guy in the back. He's like, what the hell? And then Kasim, who's playing bass, his, uh, his, his bass like stops connecting and you can't hear that. And like, you can tell the band is getting really irritated. And then three or four songs in, the drummer Woody like starts to do his solo. And the thing that like the whole point to the, the one piece that motorcycle is it rotates <laughs> and it starts to spin, but it catches on that red curtain and, no. and, and it wraps around him. Yeah. And so after like, that's it. Todd's done. He's pissed. He's done. After four songs, they leave. And we're thinking, we, we like we came for you. We didn't like. Where's the rest of your set? You didn't. You didn't play. Just where is this? And we're like, Bruce and I look at each other. Should we leave? Well, you know, the tubes are good. We should listen to the tubes, but we don't need to be crushed up against the stage. So we literally go to the back of this room and we go up to the top of the bleachers in the far back left hand side and we watch this, the show. And it's great. Like the tubes were great in concert, but it wasn't what we wanted. We wanted Todd Rundgren, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your hearts were broken. Yeah. You, you, you were. <laughs> 
so the you know the crowds are leaving after the the tubes end, and it was a great show. But we like we don't want to deal with the um, the the rush of all of the uh, the cars and everybody leaving. So we just sit there at the top of the um, the bleachers, and as we're talking, we notice this guy is down at the sound booth, which is in essence parallel to us, but on the ground, right? And he's yelling at the sound guy, and it's Todd Rundgren. It's Todd Rundgren bitching out the sound guy. And, and then he storms off and he's, he's heading to what looks like the bathroom. But the thing is like to get to the bathroom, he's got to go from the sound booth and pass us to get to the bathroom. It's just that we're like 20 feet up on these bleachers. When we see this, and this might be where I'm exaggerating, but I don't think I'm exaggerating. We hang from the bleachers and drop down and cut Todd Rundgren off before he can get to the bathroom. And we're like, Mr. Rundgren, the concert was awesome. You were the best ever. And he's like, yeah, 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 great. And I said, no, 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 seriously. Like, we came here not to see the two. We came here to see you. So, great, guys, look, I really got to go. I said, yeah, great. But listen, you're like, you're playing in Chicago in a few weeks. Is there any chance, like, you'll do the whole concert? Because we know you normally end with just one victory. And we really came to hear that song more than anything. Do you think you'll play it in Chicago. He said, look, guys, I don't know. I just really have to go to the bathroom, okay? <laughs> okay, Mr. Rundgren, thank you. And uh, and so, so a few weeks later, Bruce and I went to Chicago to catch the concert. And Todd Rundgren came out and everything was great. Like he played the full set and it was a long, like a serious, not like an opening 15, 20 minute set. He played like a serious 35, 45 minute set. And then he came out for an encore. I'm like, oh, this is it. This is where he's playing it. And he didn't play it. <laughs> and then he comes out for a second encore. And, and it's, oh, okay, this is it. And he, and it. But he didn't play it. I'm like, what the hell? And then he came out for a third encore. And he said, this is for the two guys in Iowa. And he played just one victory. Wow. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. So that was my wedding toast to Bruce because, you know, he got his one victory. He got Carol. That was his victory. You can have a big heart, Lou. Like you, you, oh, you I've can... got a very big heart. The doctor says it's an enlarged heart. You didn't know this? No, I did not. I, I don't want to know. Like, actually, uh, I, I'm scared of war. That will take us. Well, that's that's actually a sweet story. I like this. Yeah, there you go. And I think we better wrap it because it's also <laughs> yeah, a very it's, long it's so story. Long. <laughs> okay. okay. Hasta pronto. Adios. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the Food 
world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.